0: to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. And we're back from Microsoft Build and Jeremy is vertical and looking good. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> I don't
1: know about looking good, but I'm. <laughs> it's been a good, great week. I'm actually recording this show and then taking the day off to drive up in the mountains with my daughter just, for, just to get out of the house and get some fresh air. And I want to take the roof off, but it looks like it's solid gray clouds, so we'll just have the windows open.
0: Well, hey, just getting out of the house is a good deal. Totally, totally worth it.
1: I realize that I haven't actually stepped outside in literally two days, and it's Friday morning right now.
0: That's what 48 hours of build will do to you, right? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Someone's great idea.
0: (laughs) Yeah. There were a lot of benefits. So, so on a funny aside, uh, Dan Usher, who was a SharePoint you know, yeah, person we've known for years, and he had a couple yeah. of interesting tweets. One was he really liked how the food seemed home-cooked this year. <laughs> <laughs> and um, <sighs> he didn't have to walk a mile between sessions, so he was grateful to not have to Yeah, have a there was a bunch
1: working. of that. Like, the Wi-Fi at the conference is really good, and,
0: <laughs> yeah. um, you know, no lines in the
1: toilets.
0: Yeah, so on so, oh, all, pretty good.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm really happy with it. I'm overly surprised how well it went, considering realistically there was less than eight weeks of planning for this from the minute they decided they were going to do it. And up until four weeks ago, we didn't really know what content we were doing. And then the schedule didn't really get locked down until like two and a half weeks ago. So it was on fire. And build always is, but this was just like... They were making changes and no, don't make, don't do things yet. The execs haven't made decisions. It was challenging, but I'm, I, it came out very, very well. And the attendance was nuts; like the numbers are just insane.
0: Yeah, I, I had seen some some tweets around that as well. So the it's crazy, and I I would imagine the content decisions are business as usual. But this whole what sessions do we do when and how do we make sure we get the round the clock coverage? Yeah, I can't imagine that was a lot to to juggle. Yeah,
1: it was the, it was a lot of. Juggling on like we knew what content was going to be covered, but we didn't know what format of sessions it would be covered was like the main challenge. And this notion of like live sessions and skilling sessions made it made it tricky.
0: Yeah. So speaking of skilling sessions, that, that 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 caught me by surprise that we were part of the way through the first day when I saw a link to that. Um, and so in our show notes, we're going to post to the official Channel 9 event page for Build 2020, which has most of the live. Se- well, I assume by the time you listen to this, you'll have most of the live sessions recorded there. But there was a separate playlist for these skilling sessions, right? Is that uh, those are pre-recorded?
1: Yeah. And I really hope that we put everything in one place so that you don't have to go to like the Microsoft 365 developer YouTube channel to see those on-demand sessions that are like 45 minutes long. Uh, Obviously they weren't, stream live so there's no Q&A so it is really PMs going away locked in their own rooms at home and recording a you know what's new in the graph or get started with the graph and so that that content is more similar in my opinion to what breakouts are when you go to an in-person conference whereas the live sessions were for the most part we were told do 10 minutes and do 20 minutes of just open Q&A. But the majority of the sessions I went to was 20 minutes of content and then 10 minutes of Q&A. Because I think a lot of people were afraid that there wouldn't be enough questions to fill the room in 20 minutes, but I mean, the amount of questions that were coming through in the thing, like I was a traffic moderator in the background. Every session had like four or five of those. There was a lot of questions coming through, and they were deep questions. So I think they were on the money on the 10-minute, 20-minute Q&A. Like there was enough things that people could have, we could have filled the time with.
0: Uh, yeah, and, and that's to learn whether, whether this platform is used in the future or still back to in person. There's the... Lots to learn. It'd be interesting to see how the, the build conference specific, and conferences in general transition. That, that'd be interesting. Yeah. I'm
1: making it my personal mission that there will be a one button that is a sync to calendar button <laughs> that will use the Microsoft Graph to get those things on the calendar without having to touch a dirty ICS file. <laughs> um, and I'll even help them Use the Google APIs to do a sync to Google Calendar too, if that's what it takes to get yeah. this done, because um, it was quite clunky. Um,
0: yeah, so you know, it worked out for me because I was able to shut down Workstream for a couple of days, and so I had the My Event page open in a window, and it was like, okay.
1: So, so you weren't even using your own calendar. I was not at that using point. my
0: calendar right yeah, now. I, granted, that's, that's, that's. I mean. My calendar is generally empty anyways, it, just because of the work I do these days. at you. Let's go write code, and I don't need meetings, right? But, so there were some pluses to the way it worked, but I totally feel your pain but, uh, if, if I wanted on my yeah. cal- if, if I was not at my desk with, you know, a big monitor and I could have that page open, it would have been hard to find it. That's when I would use a calendar for, but yeah. Talking of writing code, Paul, you saw me write code this I, week too. I, uh, it was hard to tell who was writing which code. <laughs> <laughs> oh maybe i should have been more I, obvious I, I just no i didn't so that's uh we'll put a link in the show there the the three-hour event went well i know you complained a little bit about some audio issues and there was some echo of time but at the end of the day like you just said it was put together in four weeks so don't don't beat yourself up it was a great show nice to have uh, uh someone building an app and going through so good job on that so what was your takeaway on how your uh, your session went
1: I think I'm convinced we need to do more of this. Uh, I was very... Like, I'm open. Like, I'm not a full-time dev anymore. I do part-time dev on an app I have in the iPhone store. But I'm not in code all day long. Whereas, like, Nicola and Beth from the graph toolkit team are um but i kind of put my hat in the ring and said no i want to do a segment where i'm you know writing the code on uh, as part of the stream i think the three hour format is probably a little bit too long for someone to commit to sit down on and watch so we need to work out what like length we want to go do but we did break the show up into segments um, we had a schedule like we were going through and so the youtube play that's links in the show notes i've cut the video up into like the 15 or 30 minute segments for each area of the app we were building out, like whether it was like setting up or that took 15 minutes or and actually it was less than 15 minutes. So I was just showing off cool things in PowerShell. Or like calling the Teams APIs or writing the bot in the new Visual Studio Code extension for Teams. Like those kind of things were all chunked up. So I definitely that was probably one learning. The other learning was I was the producer, the presenter, the developer, um, I was bringing in the guests on Skype and, and that's where we had the audio snag. The good news is if you watch it on demand, I cut those things out. So I was the post-production editor to the videos too. <laughs> I am being hard on myself. There was like two minutes of uh, lost time while I tried to work out why the hell there was an echo on one of our guests coming in. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, w- there was a fair amount of prep getting that going, though. Uh, we, Nicola and Beth and I have spent the last two weeks basically working out how that show would run. And, you know, Nicola and Beth went away and built it while I was doing my normal job. And then we worked out like I got comfortable with React and got comfortable with like a lot of the graph helper classes. I was like, no, I'm going to tackle this. I'm going to go learn TypeScript and type those things out on live on stage, which was fun. It was really good fun.
0: Of course, me being me, I took the opportunity to keep asking the same question over and over in the chat window until Nicola came on and answered it for me. So big thanks to him on, on getting back on that.
1: Well, actually, that was one bit of th- feedback was, you know, the community calls we do in Microsoft Teams, which we're hitting the limits now the 250 people. And so we've been considering, like, where do we do community calls from now on? And I'm not the biggest fan of Teams in that sense, because in a meeting, the messages aren't threaded like they are if you do a channel, right? Um, But Twitch is even worse. Like, Twitch is just like a bulletin board service of just mess coming through. And so it was super hard to see what things were people being trolls, what things were actual questions, and what things were high fives for doing things, you know? And so there was probably a lot of questions we missed. (laughs) And I did
0: all three of those. (laughs) Yeah, I would agree. And, and uh, I, I haven't mentioned this to you before, so I was springing on you, but extending the, the podcast to the Microsoft 365 developer show of some core t- getting guests in and talking, whether it's, you know, sometimes we talk to guests about deep dive developer topics and showing code might actually be worthwhile. So I think it's certainly worth exploring and, and, and seeing what we can do to to help raise the level of info out there.
1: And I'm totally okay to, you know, I mean, the word vulnerable might be a bit over the top, but being vulnerable to like, not knowing and learning and having guests on that are teaching me as I'm going and you know, like no, you're using curly brackets, not such and such brackets there, right? You need to do space equals space equals greater than sign. Like, you know, the weird react syntax. I'm happy to be that person that isn't, you know, the person who's deep on it and have other people tell me. And I think that learning style is um, something that is useful that people, you know, will pick up on. So we'll see. It's going to be interesting few months as we kind of frame out what we're going to do there for sure.
0: Um, excellent. So now uh, let's take a step back. And uh, there was a, a quite a bit of graph news. So we aren't going to cover this all today because we'd have a session that's hours and hours long. But just like you asked the boss to do a top three, I'm going to ask you, what's your top three graph uh, related things?
1: Like, you know need to just get used to the fact that every time I have her on any show, that is going to be my question. <laughs> and she kind of rolled her eyes at me like, I can't believe you're asking me this live on stage. And I'm like, I, every podcast or anything, is this is the one question. <laughs> So we had a good chuckle about that afterwards. And she had a hell of a week. I mean, every time I turned on build stream, she was there in some kind of like segue announcing the learn sessions or a segue on presence or in the keynote, or, you know, she was doing live shows. So um, we're all just shattered this week and kind of glad that it's a long weekend here in america i mean i'm taking friday off but memorial day is on monday so we get four days off just to kind of decompress i'm a little bit sad though um i mean obviously covid is meaning we're missing out on lots of stuff but it was meant to be the indy 500 weekend which i usually go to to um go and support james my friend who's one of the drivers and um it kind of sucks that i can't get down there this weekend to see those cars go flying around that track so Let's see how I can kind of replace that with something this weekend. <laughs> anyway, uh, top three. So dear, near and dear to my heart, SharePoint, uh, but probably because I'm sick of being asked and it'll now be nice that we can actually say there is an answer, is Enumerate Sites API in Microsoft Graph. So for the longest time, and I'm talking 10 plus years, I mean, I'm sure your product has this problem. You're using the search index to get a list of all the site collections, right? And so now we have with application permissions, app only, non-interactive, how else can we talk about application permissions to confuse our customers, is now you can get a list back of all the site collections in a tenant, uh, which, you know, when I was at HalfPoint, we had a product that had a tree of the tenant and, you know, this was a big deal for us. So um, I think for me, that one's probably in my top three in terms of I just know that we've built something that it just is going to be heavily used, which is great. The second one is the Azure AD Graph APIs, which are on a, their own endpoint, they weren't on the graph has all moved over into the Microsoft graph and actually in the live show uh, that we did, the segment I did on Auth I showed showing the app registrations and enterprise applications in the portal then I showed going to Graph Explorer and using the applications endpoint on graph and the service principles endpoint on graph. And then I went over to PowerShell and showed the same things. And then I even created an application in PowerShell without needing to go into any UI. So the, the all being able to do all that stuff just using the API, I think is really, really, really cool. For me, the biggest one, and again, this is something I've, you know, I used to be a solution architect for TFS when I was in Australia in like 2005, 2006, deploying that thing. And it's kind of how I got into SharePoint actually. Um, and so the CICD aspect of like tearing down apps, creating apps, I think is gonna be really important for those APIs. And then thirdly uh, would be the to-do API. So we've had the Outlook Tasks API in beta for the best part of three years and never got it to V1. And very frustrating being in the graph team and being asked all the time, when is that going to be one knowing that it wouldn't not be able to say anything because the tasks strategy at Microsoft was evolving. It became a, like open and get ideas as if you, if you went to outlook web in a browser and you clicked on task, it would go into a to do view. It no longer kind of showed you the outlook tasks monolithic view um, and so people realized where things were going, but it just meant the APIs couldn't get there. And so we are releasing to do APIs in beta at build. But the good news is, is they're going to GA real quick because those APIs have been using our product by our first party for a long, long time. So we'll have those in V1, you know, I think within like three or four months. Quick, I know, but that's quick for a graph API to go from beta to v1. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, there's some really cool scenarios they're doing there around like having apps in to do where you can actually see that a a third party app is interacting with tasks and stuff like that, which is great.
0: Uh, Excellent. And I have to say um, the Azure AD stuff is is good, including how many users are in the directory right now or pre- pre this launch, you had to go through and enumerate them all or do Delta queries and count them yourself. And yeah. so having dollar count in the query string is going to make things a lot simpler for quick questions of how many people are in this group? How many people are doing this and that? So I can see.
1: Yeah, and so Alex Simons, who is, is very good at customer like reach, not quite as good as Jeff T for but kind of sets the bar in terms of CVP in our area of the world in terms of engagement. But Alex was tweeting that overbuild. And um, those tweets got picked up really well. And so it just kind of was evidence that, you know, having that count feature, as small as it seems, is actually really important when it comes to things like users in AAD.
0: Um, I have a couple of hundred lines of code running in fun- durable functions to re- do handle notifications and Delta query that I can probably unplug.
1: No joke. So wow!
0: Literally, yes, yeah, yeah. Huh. So, um, and if I, I, the code I, if I don't have to maintain code, life is good. Yeah. So yeah,
1: I hadn't even considered that. I guess that's the workaround you'd be doing, right? And then I'll give a bonus one because it is it, one of those ones that it gets a lot of limelight. Heck, even Scott Hanselman picked it up and made a big deal out of it in his session, which <laughs> if you watch one session that you want to have some fun in, um, Scott is a great entertainer and his segment in the keynotes was really, really good fun. Um, that You know, I did learn a lot in terms of new announcements coming through as well. But um, he demoed Presence API on the graph Um which is obviously a capability that's around teams and available, busy, away, and hooking it up to a Lyphix light. And um, Isaac Levin has been on the community call to kind of demo that project. And like Yina had the same lights, so, like wide around her doorframe as well. I'd put that light on my doorframe. Scarlett would still barge the door in and come interrupt me. You know, just, it is what it is. But it was, I think the, the bonus thing is, the API right now is just a REST call to get the presence, but um, they are working on webhooks and they'll be out shortly. So you'll be able to subscribe to your own status update rather than poll, which is good for you. And it's probably really good for our service so that we're not getting thrashed.
0: Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, that's great. Um, and so this week, um, you know, speaking of maintaining code, I, I, I missed our interview this week that you oh, had. You sat down with uh, yeah, with Sam from the Fluid Framework. Um, why don't you give us a quick intro into what folks can expect with this? Yeah.
1: I, I mean, I hadn't met Sam before, and he was in the keynote section with a killer mustache, and we were having a good joke about that before. I was like, you were like famous because of just doing moustaching before you started talking about your technology and uh, super, super nice guy. And this interview goes into, I think more depth than you're going to learn by watching any of the content at build. Um, Primarily, I had some probing questions for him, (laughs) kind of allowed him to open up into different areas to kind of get a bit of an idea about their direction. And so yeah, super, super cool guy. And we'll definitely get him back on the show once um, this stuff all open sources and they have a bit more of an idea about where this thing's going.
0: Um, yes, I, I met Sam at a dev kitchen. Real smart guy. I love it. Um, interesting. We had a little fun. They, they did a Q&A during the build session or the, a focus group, and, and he was sitting in a room where it had a clock, and you know the clock said 5 o'clock, even though it, it wasn't necessarily 5 o'clock in where he was at or where I was at. So number one, the great Jimmy Buffett reference. And number two, I actually asked a question in the chat. said, hey, you know, is he in the, the middle of the Pacific Ocean where it's 5 o'clock, or is his clock broken? And it, it just ties at the you, at a regular build, you never would have had that kind of interaction and get to know somebody. Right. So bringing this back around, it was a great event, and I'm glad you got the chance to sit down with Sam and get some details, and uh, and we'll go through there. There's a lot of other build news that I we'll get to, I guess, over the next couple of weeks, right? So rather than uh, make this a 12-hour show. <laughs> we'll, uh... Yeah, I mean,
1: we've already got, like, seven guests lined up for the next few weeks based on the announcement. So um, I've got commitment from most of them, and you've reached out to a few people too. So I'm really excited to uh, see all the content that we get in the next few weeks so um, go check out the links we put in the show notes and I hope you enjoy this interview with Sam
0: alright see you.
1: hi Sam thanks for joining me on the show
2: yeah of course Jeremy nice to see you I mean
1: th- there's nothing worse than like having a full build event and then someone beg you to go on a show to produce a podcast the day afterwards <laughs> yeah actually.
2: This morning, I was up, uh, I'm on the East Coast right now, I was up at uh, 3 a.m. to do a a build presentation for Europe, and that was kind (laughs) of (laughs) crazy.
1: Yeah, I did a Twitch stream at 7 a.m., which really meant I was up at 5.30, and apart from like tiptoeing around the house to make sure my daughter didn't wake up, um, just trying to get into a woken state to be able to do a presentation to essentially a webcam that doesn't interact back. (laughs) It's really tough.
2: I know you need the audience to play off of, and uh, well, it's different, but it's actually been a surprisingly effective build. I've really enjoyed myself, and I think the whole team has.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's been a lot of fun. I do miss the the magic of turning up at the convention hall and like seeing people who have never been to a conference before, and like their jaws are on the floor at the scale of when they walk in the keynote yeah. room, and just the music. Like that aspect, I do miss that buzz of it. But um, no, in Definitely. general, I think it went really, really well. I mean. I know there's been a lot of press in the last day or so about like how much prep we had for this. Ha ha ha! ha. So much prep. Yeah. yeah um, right. But considering we didn't have that much prep and things were coming in crazy hot, I think it was really, really good for us and for the attendees.
2: No, I think so too. I yeah, I think yeah, we got a lot of great questions. One of our cute. Q- in mean, one of the Q and A sessions that I moderated, that was that was awesome. It just feels good to have people ask you questions that show that they're kind of seeing what we're going for, and that felt like a nice connection for us.
1: Yeah, it's a good validation of like, yeah, we had those same questions too.
2: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent.
1: So sorry. So you're on the so you're on the East Coast. So you work remotely for Microsoft over over there. Whereabouts are you on the East Coast?
2: Right now I'm in Connecticut. I actually just got here. Oh, my cool. family lives here. Uh, I grew up in New York City, but they're out here because of coronavirus. And uh, usually I live in Seattle, so I live in Capitol Hill with my significant other. And oh, nice. Uh, but I came here to be with family and, uh, you know, we're all working road anyway, so might as well see them.
1: Yeah, it doesn't matter where you yeah. are, right? That's great. Yeah, I wish I probably should have had that plan and bounced <laughs> to Australia and just done that. Of course. The the, the 3 a.m. uh uh, meeting wouldn't have been 3am that way it would have been like lunchtime sometime Yeah,
2: exactly <laughs> I could have just been in Europe somewhere that would have been good <laughs> and so what do you do on the team? What's your role at Microsoft? I'm an engineer on the Fluid team. So fl- the Fluid framework, uh, we talked a lot. This year, we first sort of teased it at Build 2019. But I've been an engineer on the team for three years. I joined when it was just three people. It was just uh, wow. Steve Luco who sort of, it was sort of originally his idea, came with a lot of our initial algorithms. And then Kurt Berglund and this guy Tanvi Arayumi, I joined them and then we just sort of built up this whole project, it's like 160, 200 of us now. What? And I do engineering, it's crazy, right? I did not realize how big that team was, far out. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable and it's been incredibly fun to see it grow and have people enjoy using Fluid. I led just internally a fix hack learned kind of like an internal hackathon with uh, about 350 attendees, which is really wild if you just think inside of Microsoft on the Redmond campus. So that's the kind of thing that, that that we're doing recently.
1: That's really cool. So what is Fluid Framework? And how did you manage to convince someone to get 300 developers on it? Because we need some tips in the graph, yeah, I
2: think. Yeah, that's a good question. So, so what is Fluid Framework? That's an easy question. Fluid Framework is this, this JavaScript-first framework, a web-first framework that lets you embed content easily. And we also have tools to make your existing content collaborative really easily. So when I describe it a little bit more technically, I'm thinking we are a framework with a, with a distributed app model. So we distribute data to all your connected clients. And then we've got a component model that encapsulates your logic so that you can place your content into a fluid host like Outlook or like Teams or like your own host that hopefully you build. So. Embeddable content, super low latency collaboration, those are our two sweet spots.
1: Is there a reason it was called Fluid historically? Because, and there's a second question, but I'll let you try and tackle that one first.
2: Uh, There's a reason why it's called Fluid. We want it to be like a running river. That was the conversation, or like a uh, water dancer or something, you know, just fast, low latency, flexible. And then just a little funny backstory, we were, our code name was Prague. Like the city? Uh, okay, that was what and, that project was. Okay. Yeah, and there was there's a we had this photo on the top of our repo that was like the river running through Prague, and so that was one of the, our initial thoughts. Yeah. There
1: you go. There's always a good story. You get to the bottom of it with these code names. The, the three people you mentioned who, excuse me, who started on this thing, like they all sound like rocket scientist names as well. As you were like rolling them off your tongue, it's like, yeah, they could totally have invented some kind of like atomic thing.
2: Honestly, you know? they are. They're a super impressive bunch. I've been lucky to work with some super smart people. And Steve's a technical fellow at, at Microsoft. And uh, I've worked really closely with him. He's just, uh, it was a great experience. And I think it really made fluid a lot better. So that was fabulous. Yeah,
1: that's cool. And so how does this play with Fluent? Are we in a world where like, Microsoft has come up with these names and tries to go out there to confuse people? Or?
2: I think we're in a place where Microsoft came up with these names and purposely tried to confuse people. But I, I, uh, <laughs> So Fluent is a UI framework that uh, I've actually used before with Fluid, but they're not intrinsically related. Fluid is okay. super flexible, super unopinionated, bring your own view framework, whatever you want. And so, Fluent's one of many choices that you can use for a view framework. We're not we're not specifically related at all.
1: Wait, so you're not completely tied to it, where right? it will only work if you use
2: Fluent. Yeah, you can use whatever you'd like. Fluent just happens to be a great okay. UI framework.
1: And then, in terms of the stack, um, when I first saw this demo two years ago. Um, I immediately leapt to like SignalR and what the team in SignalR have done because I I know the guys that originally founded that because they're Aussies, with Damien Edwards and, and those guys. Is that related tech? It, it was it inspirational for you to kind of go down that path and see what they've done?
2: Yeah, it, it, you know we get that question a lot. I would say you know certainly SignalR is you know part of the zeitgeist. We we know that people want low latency collaboration, but. We were really looking at a green field and trying to figure out how to get the lowest latency possible collaboration for scenarios, really a variety of scenarios, but for things like inking and typing, just how to really drop those numbers down as low as possible. So we are built on top of regular old JavaScript stuff. Um, We use WebSockets as well, but uh, ultimately our value proposition is that we create these distributed data structures. These are um, to use a little bit of the academic language, we, these are eventually consistent objects where if I have something on my machine like in my Chrome browser and you have an object in your Chrome browser, these are gonna reflect the same state in you know, about five milliseconds, five to 10 milliseconds. So really, really low latency. And that's our, our value proposition. And we built that on top of WebSockets. And I can talk to you about you know, how, kind of the algorithms we use But um, we are doing the merge logic on your behalf, and we built that on top of regular old JavaScript tools and WebSockets being one of those.
1: And so the the brain of this engine is on the client in the browser. It's not like in a server-side approach to get that kind of latency, right, I would imagine?
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. So our server-side implementation is quite simple. It's built on a total order broadcast, but that's an off-the-shelf part, and almost all of our our real smarts is happening in the browser in the client.
1: What can you build with this thing? Like I, I've seen the demo of the, you know, the three by three grid of browsers and uh, writing in the chat, and immediately seeing it translated eight other languages that Mike Morton did it. It was that was that must have been built last year, I'm guessing, right?
2: Yeah, it was built last year. And by the way, I was I was back up. Mike oh, Morton really? in that, behind Man. that stage. I was like trying to imitate him in case they had to swap the thing. Being back
1: up is brutal too. And for those that don't know, there is a lot of magic that goes into keynotes that are done live. And so uh, the keynote that I did last year at Build, uh, you're in a similar situation. I was on stage. And someone is basically mirroring exactly what you're doing. So at any point in time, if for whatever reason, my machine blue screens or there's some weirdness that happens in the browser, in the background, the producer just switched to person that's backstage doing exactly the same thing as me. And so that to the audience's eye. Nothing went wrong. That's
2: exactly right. So it was me and Kurt Bergman, yeah. one of those other guys, being backstage yeah. doing the invitation game.
1: Man, I don't envy you. That is not an easy job.
2: Yeah, it was it was funny. I mean so so what can you build? I mean, you saw this translation demo. Yeah. That is a great, you know, super fun looking scenario, but we've had a huge variety of things. People love games, and so we get that question like, can I build this game? Yeah, that's an incredibly fun hackathon project to, you know, whip something up that you can play with, you know, play with the group that you you just did. So, we've had all sorts of things like that. But besides that, we've had from, you know, from ISVs from from our like partner teams external to Microsoft, we've had people build sort of workflow management so that their customers can interact on some sort of document signing workflow at the same time or some sort of information handling workflow. And then internally, we've had a recent hackathon I was just describing with like a couple hundred people. During that hackathon, I think we had a Python editor for the classroom, an incident management tracker. We had a group of people build uh, build up, like updating engines for their own teams, where they could surface some sort of insight from one client and have it reflect to their browser, oh, Slack cool. plugins, Teams yeah. plugins. Uh, and because we're a JavaScript environment, you can really put it anywhere that you have JavaScript a JavaScript engine available to you.
1: Right. Which is kind of where the world is pivoted to, right? Like, um, you know, I mean, well, build is a bit different because obviously they're talking about Windows development and stuff. But even then, a lot of that is React Native and so forth now where it's all using JavaScript anyway. Um, and so... You did launch a game at Build, though, the, the meta puzzle, which I saw announced yeah, in the so keynote fun. and kind of blew my brain. And honestly, I haven't had time to play with it, but I have had comments from a few people like, I don't get it. What, what am I going to do? But the video
2: looked great. Yeah, that was incredibly fun. Uh, so, so some of my coworkers built that on the Teo team, and we just want to show people how, how fast and how big we can get a fluid document. So we, during just that demo, we had hundreds of people operating on one document with this sort of low latency that we that we talk about. It was a puzzle where if you put the pieces together properly, it came back with an image. And then all of the images that got solved, all these little puzzles that got solved, came together to make the build logo. Right, so right. that was what the game was. Uh, but we had hundreds of people in each document. And during load testing, we tried thousands, and that succeeded. So wow, okay. uh, the meta puzzle was a ton of fun. It was a great artifact to have during build, uh, and the output for us is yeah, we can handle that kind of load, and we can do something fun with it. And so you know, we
1: talk about at Microsoft internally, which I, I mean, sometimes I don't think translates that well externally. Is this notion of first party, third party, or one P three P? And I get the feeling with the way you've talked about. Uh, hackathons internally, as well as partners externally, that this truly is a framework that you want us to use as a Microsoft team, but also that you want our partners to do too, right?
2: Yeah. So that's true on so many levels. I would say personally, I'm very invested in this being in the open source domain. And I, I really want people to be able to play with it. It's I love playing with it. It's so easy for me to set up a website with Fluid, do something that's like interactive and creative, and do it in so, just do it so quickly. Like, you know, I showed this demo during Rajesh's keynote. That genuinely only took me 30, 40 minutes. I prepped it for build, but it was built out of components that I'd already touched, and that's just fabulous. And so we do have this big open source prerogative because we think people are really going to love it. And we think the best way to serve our internal customers is just to have a great developer flow. I think sometimes at Microsoft we make the mistake of, of making things for internal use, but without that like really crisp customer feedback, and here our customers are going to be devs, we don't necessarily make the platform as good as we possibly can. And so open sourcing, I think, will just... May continue to make us better.
1: And, and so, you know, we, we've open source stuff in the past, uh, I would say in E&D, in Rajesh's org, uh, where it's been open source, but it's only been a certain amount of it, right? So like uh, the SharePoint framework is open source, but their engine isn't. And so if Redmond became a giant hole in the earth um, and SPFX was open source as it is right now, they still wouldn't be able to continue work on it. Um, where so? What's the balance that you're doing with Fluid Framework? Is like, are you going to do all in like the .NET team do? Yeah, or is it a similar model to kind of where the SharePoint crew are?
2: I'd say we're all in. I, I mean, okay. let me just. Be a little bit more specific. So much of our service is actually happening on the client. So the second anyone uses Fluid, they actually on their in their browser already have, in my mind, the most interesting bits. <laughs> that's right, the whole
1: thing anyway. They already have. It. Yeah. So it's just packed up and unreadable. <laughs> exa-
2: yeah. So, but we don't want to keep it in that state. So we're open sourcing it. We will open source a reference implementation of the service too, which is again pretty simple. And between those two things, that's what we run. Uh, that you know that's that's how we do our development. We won't open source the implementation that's actually, you know, we'll work on other implementations. For instance, the thing that powers Fluid Preview, the first application to be built with, uh, with Fluid, we haven't open source that implementation because that's SharePoint specific.
1: Yeah, and so with that kind of approach, how, when engineers are using it internally, they're going to be contributing to that public repo, right?
2: 100%, yeah, and we're excited about that. We're we're starting to get in the flow of PRs and issues, and and that's actually been a fun transition for everyone. Yeah,
1: and obviously we do that with our SDKs and Microsoft Graph, so it can be a challenge when you have like internal people and external people, and that kind of that balance between who's doing what and who gets the final show on decisions that are made in the framework, right? Yeah. So uh, w- with regards to it, like, what things have people built internally with it that, uh, is, like, any of it in the products already? Is there things that are already there?
2: The first thing that shipped, shipped quite silently, it's a translation feature for uh, PowerPoint. And so they're running a fluid service themselves, and they can have picture maybe, like, at, yeah. at a UN meeting or something. <laughs> where you've got simultaneous translations to 50 languages, they use us Sorry, for that. My daughter just walked
1: in. You're going to wave to <laughs> Say Sam. hi, by the way, you your daughter. This is total daughter. COVID yeah, going right. on right now. you say hi? How's it going? No, you're going to go all shy now, aren't you? Oh, she's Hello. showing her drink. It's good <laughs> stuff, Yeah, that's oh, right. Man. Thanks
2: it's for her including it. her. It's better <laughs> it's when it's video, not just
1: audio like this podcast, but yeah. Um, and so with that notion of like building that in, like, how are you going to manage ship cycles for it? Like, is the framework... Is there going to be, like, a, a, a release that the whole of M365 has to look for? Or will it be, like, if I'm shipping it within the translation thing, that only that translation will use a certain version of the framework? And then if it's in Teams, it will be a different version.
2: <laughs> okay, no worries.
1: Yeah, so just in terms of, yeah, so, like, the releases and how are you going to manage shipping the framework in Teams and... OneNote and Outlook, and whether they all be on the same release, and you'll push it out all together, or will it be the kind of plan for that?
2: Yeah, that's actually um, a great question and a little bit of a loaded question with Fluid. So there's two things here. The first is that we will release at an 0.x sort of sort of thing. I think we'll release in a in a developer preview as opposed to something that we feel like is perfectly stable. Just to be honest, like we're going to need that feedback. Uh, and then the second thing. Is that we have two different core parts. The first is our reference implementation of the service, and the second is those core bits that'll actually go on the client that you might have already seen if you sort of looked at an unpackaged Fluid preview. And these can be versioned separately. We think that the service should be pretty stable uh, because we haven't really had to touch it since uh, a couple of years ago. So, you know, I'm sure there'll be changes. We'll go from there. What's what's ultimately going to be interesting is the client bits. We have an upgrade strategy for that, that we've worked on. But each document is actually, it's both the business logic, so the framework logic, and your code, as well as the data, all packaged into one. So when I talk. Packed into one. So if you think about like a .docx, it'd almost be like if your .docx had all of the word xy packed into it. So you always knew it would open. And so with Fluid, we have that same model. So if you open up a Fluid document, you're opening up an executable that's intrinsically tied to that data. And so we know that these things will stay stable. So the upgrade story is really each document will be on a version. And we have to talk about how to upgrade each individual document as opposed to upgrading Teams or upgrading OWA. We talk about upgrading Teams document A, OWA document B, sorry, Outlook for web document B, that kind of thing
1: like you talk about these documents and I like the fluid preview, which anyone can see. I think that's pretty much in every M365 tenant. You can go create a fluid document.
2: Exactly. You can create a, a fluid document. It's a, it's an enterprise thing right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, but it's pretty much in every uh, M365 tenant. And... Uh, and yeah, so, so you can create a fluid preview document. And that's that same thing. It's the bundle of your fluid application with the data that you actually put in it, whatever your list is or your, your, your table.
1: Right. And there's different. And what do you call those elements? So that I, I remember you can kind of create a list of tasks or a table or a, an agenda. Yeah, we call them a fluid component. So it's a component within the fluid document.
2: Yeah. So if I talk about my own language, I would say you've got a fluid application and then you've got fluid components within that. And then beneath that, you've yeah. got our distributed data structures, which we can talk more about, but I was describing them in the beginning.
1: Yeah. And so when you create one of those fluid documents in that fluid preview, and like it's doing it all in your client, but then you can share it with someone else. And so they're going to open it in their browser client as well. Where is the document source of truth? Or is it because the latency being so low, it's like yeah. essentially the document's in two places at that point?
2: It's, a, it's another great question. So the document, its source of truth is in the service because it's ultimately being reconstructed from a set of operations. And so the easiest way to describe this is maybe by looking at one of our distributed data structures, like our shared map. When you first go to a fluid page, and let's say this fluid page has one component in it, and that has one distributed data structure in it, it's just our fluid map. The first operation is going to be create this fluid map. And the second operation is going to be set on this map key A to value one. You could then recreate this whole this this whole fluid document that we just did by running through op one, which is create shared map, and then op two, which is set a to one. And when you when we think of a fluid document, it's really just this long sequence of operations. And this the current state of the document is that is running through each of those ops one by one. What is what is the document like? Where's the source of truth? I just kind of rambled for a minute. What's the source of truth? It's wherever those ops are stored and right now on sharepoint those ops are stored in a dot fluid file on sharepoint online
1: okay so you could technically if you went to a, like a, a particular library you'd be able to see all these fluid documents sitting in a site collection somewhere or are they kind of hidden away in yeah. the masses no
2: yeah, you can you can click on one like you can go into your sharepoint uh drive and click and it'll open up in fluidpreview.com, and you can even download it, I don't know if that's advisable, and you'll be able to see what you know what our storage format looks like.
1: But it won't work offline, right? It needs to be in that SharePoint site to work is what I heard a while ago.
2: Yeah, it won't work offline for two reasons. One is you need to, you know, we're expecting you to be able to get these operations, these new sequenced things from other users, and two is you need the the, the fluid code that comes with it. You know, I say they're packaged together. Yeah. You need kind of the X-y half of it in order for it to work. That's
1: cool. And so the series of paths. I imagine if a document's been alive for like a year or something, and you've had a bunch of people. Going in there, deleting things, recreating things—that series of instructions is going to get pretty mega in there. So when someone opens it, do they have to like execute all of that history of operations to be able to see the current state of the document?
2: <laughs> yeah, um, you do not. We at some point uh, were doing what you just described, and then we started uh, trying out our own product, dogfooding our yeah. product, and we're like, this is getting a little slow <laughs> when you got a few million ops in here. And so we started doing this thing that we called the snapshot, and the original name of the service was the. Paparazzi—they take a picture of it, you know, every paparazzi. hour, every day, or whatever—and that works all right. Let me, I can describe what it is. Basically, you know, the simplest way to think about it is we take all these ops and we summarize them, we snapshot them for some of our simpler data structures. That basically looks like a JSON representation of the object. So, if you've got a map, we just describe where a equals one. It'd be a JavaScript map with or a JSON object with a equals one and we store that representation and we say, you know, for op number K, op number 101, the shared map we created looks like this. And so when you join, you know, you join at operation number 15 and you pull in that, that, uh, that summary, that snapshot, and run through ops 102 to 115 to catch back up with all the other connected clients.
1: Okay, that makes
2: sense. Yeah,
1: good. Yeah. And so then that gets into the operations thing. But then there's this notion of the data structures, which you talked about in the keynote and in the uh, the YouTube session as well. So how does that play into it? Like, if I can build my own fluid component, let's use the map one as an example, because I think everyone can kind of grok that. I've got a map, there's a bunch of us in the fluid document, and we're clicking like crazy on the map, adding pins and putting data on the pins of like, the menu or something at the restaurant that's open. Yeah. We need more restaurants open.
2: Um, <laughs> yeah, it's an open restaurant. But we're, it's obviously an imaginary oh, scenario. I'm
1: like <laughs> so, thinking about restaurant. For my bar up the road that is not Me open too. right now. <laughs> um, focus, Jeremy. Uh, is that, you know, if yeah. everyone's yeah. doing that dropping pins, putting the menus in, that's doing it within their local uh, client and then obviously federating it out, fanning it out to all the other clients that have got it open, then storing it back in the fluid document in the service in SharePoint.
2: Yes. So... Like I can describe that process for you a little bit. So, so what we do is we let's talk about how what what the flow is like for one operation. So, uh, Jeremy clicks, I want that that burger from the bar up the road. Clicks a button. We say set, Jeremy's order burger. You know that's our that's our new map state. We listen to that. We then hop on a WebSocket, throw that operation down, and say shared map with. And I'm going to use some specifics here. Shared map with okay. this handle in this document was touched by this user and they updated this value. That's what it is for the shared map. For other distributed data structures, we've got a more complicated update op logic. But for this one, that's what it looks like. That then gets thrown on a WebSocket. We toss that up to our service. The service puts it into our total order broadcast, which means it's slotting updates from every user into one list so that every op from your client, my client, whatever, is ordered one to N. So it go you know it goes into this master list. Uh, you get op number 113. I'm another user. I'm listening to all the ops that are coming in and I I get off the wire op number 110, 111, 112, 113 and as I get op number 113 I notice okay, this user put, you know, updated the map with this handle. It was Jeremy. We trust Jeremy. Jeremy uh, Jeremy's up to date. That kind of matters. He, you know, he's been part of the session. And then I update that map with Jeremy's order, which is a burger from the pub. Yeah, 3. okay,
1: that makes sense. And so you can make the data structures however you choose to make them. Like, I mean, the map one is, you know, it's a JSON object basically. It's a pin with a bunch of, yeah. you know, subchild items of, you know, food. But you can have whatever yep. you want stored in that as an operation as data structure. Yeah, that's
2: true. So. You can make your own distributed data structures. We think that we've actually made a fairly comprehensive set. We know that there's going to be more in the fullness of time. But we have uh, mm-hmm. a sequence, which is used historically as a shared string so that we could do text editing super fast. We've got a map. We've got a consensus queue, a consensus list, uh, a quorum to just, you know everyone votes on something and we decide to do it. A few and a, and a few others, a cell, a table, this list of distributed data structures is what powers Fluid Preview. And we think Fluid Preview is beginning to get pretty powerful. And so we by, ha- by building this app in-house, we think we've gotten to a lot of the distributed structures that people need to make powerful applications.
1: Yeah. But hypothetically, someone could give you a PR for a new data structure and you could merge that into the open source project, right?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah that's cool. That's actually, that would be Amazing okay. new distributed data structures. We think will come out and be super powerful, and we just haven't thought of them yet. And yeah. we also have finite resources, so it'll be great to see yeah. what kind of innovation happens there. Yeah, you there. said you had three hundred engineers. I, mean, I get it's <laughs> no, finite. No, One hundred and fifty, two hundred? There's a lot more engineers than we have. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, you got to remember we we've started to do a lot of integration. So I'm I'm not just counting people on our team, but we we have the Fluid framework, which is a big project in and of itself, and we're working quite hard. We've got people working with Outlook to get those embeds. Teams to get those embeds. And then we have our own application. We just built a new powerful productivity tool that we're excited about. That's a typical team at Microsoft doing a sling at that scale is you know 60 engineers a lot of the time. So that, that's some of the yeah, things yeah. we're doing.
1: And so I gotta ask, like if like the demos we did with Teams and Outlook were like moving a table around that you know it's homed in a fluid document, but you can like grab that component and throw it into a chat message in Teams or throw it into a mail in Outlook. Um, if I built my own Fluid component and distributed that with my Fluid document, will I be able to drop that into a Teams message or an Outlook mail as well? Yeah,
2: that, that's exactly what we're going for. It's going to take some wow, time. Okay. Though. We, uh, you know, we, we still need to figure out where the home of all these things are going to be. And we don't have a service yet. That's the kind of thing that we're working on. We don't have one unified service for everyone to use. But as we begin to grow consensus on where these things are going to live permanently and we begin to stabilize with the community a little bit, that's exactly the scenario we're going for. And we're really, really excited about it.
1: And and ultimately, like thinking this through, uh, third parties building things as uh, a web part in SharePoint right now or an an office add-in task pane in um, Outlook, like those types of things potentially could be built with a Fluid component and done in a similar way, right?
2: Yeah, I can tell you about some of my own little hackathon projects, so yeah, be awesome. this isn't off the record, but this is just some of the stuff that I play around right. with. It's
1: going to be published on a podcast, so... Yeah, yeah it will be. But I'm okay <laughs> saying <laughs> that. are going to sneak him out telling us stuff he shouldn't be telling us now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. No, no, no. So, so yeah, I've, I've done some things where I built Fluid into a uh, Edge plugin, where I've you know I've done things where I've done a an outlook for web plugin and and fluidified that so that's exactly the place we're going to i've only done you know 48 hour hackathons to build these kinds of things so we haven't really legitimized them and made sure that they they work exactly how we expect but but yeah that's exactly the kind of thing that we're so excited about the possibility of
1: yeah it's gonna be really cool because there's just so many things like i mean ultimately there'll be so many companies that have things in their own products that they want to be able to like Make as a component to throw into a workflow inside of a discussion that's happening in a team's channel, or you know, put it in a Word document or put it into a mail. Um, It's gonna be really neat to see what people come up with. I think I'm I'm most excited about this just because of the the opportunity that's going to give on on such a broad level of what can be done with these components.
2: Me too. And now that I know what Fluid can do, there's so many things that just seem really obvious. A simple example, I was just flew to Connecticut, I, um, I live in Seattle and I just flew over here, and I was going over to the booking for my flight over and over again with my parents and my significant other and just trying to make sure the details worked for us. Well, we should have just, I should have thrown in an email and had this been a collaborative little tool to book my flight. And I could imagine some partner of ours coming in and building that out. So that. We didn't have to send screenshots 11 times to get the the flight details down.
1: Right, as the as the data changed, like that's just a living breathing thing that could be part of the email or part of a Teams channel that just keeps refreshing.
2: That's exactly right. How
1: how do you see that because I often find this is a case of how adaptive cards are presented as a benefit of like having an adaptive card that can refresh in a Teams chat like is that Worlds colliding a bit there too, or are you are you working with those teams internally?
2: Yeah, we do talk to the Adaptive Cards team. In fact, earlier today, I was talking to David Klaus, who's uh, I think on the oh, Adaptive cool. team. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. he's great. We've been talking a bunch. We've got a lot of parts that are similar. One is you know the embeddability of some component like you know widget thing that you put somewhere. So we've got a similarity there. But what what we do that Adaptive Cards. Where we think we can bring power to Adaptive Cards and maybe hopefully put this in Adaptive Cards, we're, we're, not, we're still working out the partnership, is that we offer this distributed app model that we think is really powerful. So it's not refreshing a declarative language. It's a genuinely always up-to-date interactive yep, yep. object. And that's a slightly different, different yeah, thing. Cool. But Adaptive Cards also has all this native support and stuff. So yeah. we'll, we'll see how we fit in. Yeah, yeah.
1: No, it's going to be an interesting journey. And and so I is there, t- I mean, you mentioned it's open sourcing. Are there timeframes around it? Like, I'm guessing it's not a solid date that you're marching towards. It seems to be a lot of moving parts.
2: No. First of all, we're marching. It, <laughs> it is a, uh, we. I mean, we're having a lot of fun, uh, but we're just, I mean, we're so focused on getting it out to people. I think it's just, it's soon. On the scale of weeks, not on the scale of months. Yeah. And so that's, awesome. that's what we're hoping for.
1: That's really cool. And and yeah. how do you see like the adaptive cards thing? I mentioned SPFX. Like a- SPFX right now is very much an enterprise development play in the sense that you can deploy the package to your particular farm and it will light up in whatever site collection to be available as a web part to add. Uh, they've added that capability now that, you know, that web part can be shown in a tab in Teams. But will you have a similar deployment model for You know, will there be a store model, for instance, that you're looking to do, so that you know partner A can build a fluid component and bundle it in a fluid document template that can be available somewhere for someone to grab in a tenant without having to go deploy something?
2: Yeah, we have done it a couple of ways. I think we're still trying to get real clarity on what we've done, but what we've done so far is some deployment models that are as simple as, put the JavaScript for your fluid application on a CDN, and we'll go get it. So you actually put in your URL the fluid code that you want to load in a query string or something. And we'll go to that CDN, fetch that JavaScript, and the expectation is that the distributed objects in this app will line up with the CDN. So that's something we've done. You know, That's no store. That's just files embracing web technology. And then we've also done a more a more model where we've used SPFX actually and their catalog as the storage mechanism for this JavaScript. And so both work and Fluid is just we're un- we're unopinionated there. So within the Microsoft ecosystem. We might use SPFx and their their catalog of deployed JavaScript, and then out in the open, people might prefer the CDM model or some other model that we haven't actually decided. Yeah, on okay,
1: yet. yeah, because I can see like the CDN model could be a bit concerning trust wise if someone kind of went and changed the CDN and suddenly it was doing something completely different to the Fluid document.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. So we you, we just want to remain unopinionated, have a driver model, stay flexible, and do whatever's right yeah, for the that's scenario.
1: Cool. And so. People listening are all now like champing at the bit. They're jumping with down. They've probably like got distracted while they're driving, (laughs) listens to this podcast. What's the call to action? Like, where do you want to send these folks? Like, what what should they do next?
2: Yeah, so the call to action is pretty simple. Please develop with us. We're so excited to interact with you. I can't wait to meet you. We don't have a set date for the open sourcing. Fluidframework.com redirects to a little form where we can stay in touch with you. We'll let you know when we open source. Uh, fluidpreview.com will show you one of the experiences that we've built with Fluid, and that's always interesting if you have a M365 Enterprise tenant. Uh, and then just just follow along. You can follow my Twitter account, I'm at Sam Broner. I'll make sure to keep you up to date as well. But it's just wait for the open source, and then just try it out and give us feedback, because we want to integrate that as, as quickly yeah, as possible. this is
1: awesome. I'm really excited and just seeing your passion um, over video right now like it's just so great (laughs) to have people like you driving products and technology like this so um, thanks for sharing and um, I threw some curveballs at you and I think you've got some good good uh, details here that maybe didn't come across some of that build content so hopefully people find this valuable and we will definitely get you back on once it's open source to talk a bit more about what's going on and um, I would encourage everyone that's interested in open source contributions to plug into Sam via Twitter right now and keep an eye on that as this thing goes live.
2: I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about Fluid. As you can tell I do love talking about this (laughs) stuff so I I can't wait to be back on.
1: Uh, It's really cool. Awesome. Well, thanks very much, Sam. I appreciate uh, your time, especially straight <laughs> off the build and uh, enjoy your time on the East Coast with your family and uh, we'll catch up soon.
2: All right, right, will do. Nice to see you. Bye.
0: Cheers, buddy. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.M365DevPodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes.